Good morning. It's bare, I mean, we're right on the cusp, more like noon, but good to see you here this morning afternoonish. Uh, we are going to be in Acts chapter 8. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible or grab one and flip around and find your way to Acts chapter 8. A couple things before we get there. I um, just want to let you know that um, I'm excited that you're here with us today. I'm, uh, we're going to be wrapping up the book of Acts for this year today, our last sermon in Acts, we'll be picking it up, be picking it up again starting in 2017. Uh, after this Sunday, starting next Sunday, we're going to have a four-Sunday Advent series leading us up to Christmas. And then we'll do three Christmas Eve services here at Solid Rock. Uh, times will be posted later. Uh, but if you're already making your plans for Christmas Eve, we're going to do a 4 o'clock, a 5.30, and a 7 o'clock um, on Christmas Eve. And no services on Sunday morning. Um, but we'll do four Sunday Advent sermons, uh, sermons leading up to that. And we'll also be sending you home with um, basically a family worship guide to go along with it for you and your family um, to sit down once a week. It'll coincide with the sermon. Um, if you want to do that on Sunday evening, that the, the Sunday evening of Advent, and you'll be able to read scripture together. And then there's some discussion questions and a song you can sing together with your family. Um, we want to provide that for you for the Advent season that you, not just you, but even your family, we could get our minds and hearts ready to celebrate Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, so that'll start next Sunday. More info to follow on that. I also want to let you know, too, if you're visiting with us, um, we're going to start um, doing something different after our services, or, or I am, and I hope that you'll join me. Um, if you're new around here, this doesn't have to be your first Sunday. If you're just new here to the church, or if, even if this is your first Sunday, um, I want to let you know that I'm going to be hanging out at the end of the hallway in a room on the left, and that's just a chance for me to get to know some of the newer folks here. Um, we're growing at such a pace that I just don't feel like I'm keeping up. I'm seeing faces, but I'm not getting names and stories. And so I just want to make myself available to get to know you. If you're, like I said, if you're new here and you have time, love to just exchange names and a little bit more of, of your story. Um, I'll be hanging out at the end of the hallway on the left after this service. That's where I'll be. And if you don't show up, I'll be by myself. It's really, really sad. Um, first service, I was by myself. Last service, though, had a great time interacting with some new folks. So that's, that's where I'll be. Um, a couple things just to get our, our hearts and minds ready for Acts chapter 8. This is a really significant turning point in the story of the church. And so in order to fully grasp the magnitude of what we're going to read today, I want to lay some groundwork for us, okay? So I'm going to spend a few minutes doing that, and then we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 1 and move forward from there. Or excuse me, 8, verse 1, and move from there. So just some, some background. First of all, I think it's important for us today to revisit the mission of the church. There's a reason why we've called this sermon series the Unstoppable Church. Now, when we say that, what we're not talking about is how cool Solid Rock is, okay? But what we are talking about is the church of Jesus Universal that has spanned generations, centuries, that has been launched in the book of Acts and is still working today. That we're here today because, in fact, the church is unstoppable. Now, what I want to do is just revisit with you for a moment this mission that Jesus has launched that, 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 that essentially launches the church. So after the resurrection, Matthew 28, Jesus is with the 11. Judas has bailed. He sold out. He's gone. Now there's 11. Jesus is resurrected and he meets his, his crew. He says, hey, meet me up on the mountain. I want to share something with you. So they meet him up there. Um, they see him. Some worship him when they see him. Some are still struggling and doubting. And he says, here's the thing. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and here's my mission for you guys. Go, therefore, making disciples of the nations, 
Now that word nations can translate into ethnicities, nationalities. So we know it includes all skin colors, tribes, tongues, languages, all ethnicities. So this is a global mission that he launches these 11 guys to, to undertake. And he says, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. You're going to teach these new disciples to observe or obey all that I have commanded. And I am with you and I will be with you to the end of the age. And the book of Acts opens with um, Jesus is reiterating this for his followers right before he ascends to heaven. In Acts 1.8, he tells them something incredibly important. He says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, this is important because if you think about the mission that Jesus has called these guys to, it was, a very, it was in fact an impossible mission. This is before internet, cell phone, text messaging, social media, the telegraph, the combustible engine, right? So 11 guys, I want you and your sandals to take this life-giving, hope-giving message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. They were called to this paramount, impossible mission. And so when Jesus reiterates that they're going to be on this mission, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Talk about a sense of relief. Whew, good. Because I, right? I had no idea how we were going to accomplish this, but the Holy Spirit is going to be involved, empowering us, driving this mission forward. And this is what makes it unstoppable. We're going to see today that it wasn't the apostles that made this mission unstoppable. It wasn't that they had a great church planning strategy. Or they had a, a corner on theology. It was, in fact, that the Holy Spirit was driving the church that made it unstoppable. And so he says to his followers before he ascends to heaven, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And so he gives them a strategy. It's going to start here in Jerusalem. This making disciples of the nations thing is going to start right here in Jerusalem where you're at. But it's not going to stay here. It's going to move outside of Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, ultimately to what? The ends of the earth. And so... This is the mission that the church is on. Now, a couple of other things I want to mention before we get into Acts chapter 8. The two previous chapters have, have introduced us to some new characters. So not only do we have um, the 11 apostles, they've added one, Matthias. Now they're back to 12. Not only do we have the 12, but in Acts chapter 6, what we realize is the church has grown to such a point that the ministry demands are becoming overwhelming and people are being overlooked and neglected. It's a, it's a real problem. Right? Things were going great. Church was booming. Thousands were gathering. But needs were going unmet. And so they bring this to the apostles. Their response was what? Hey, let's, choose, let's recruit some help here to wait tables. Let's choose from uh, among you seven men full of the Holy Spirit of good reputation and having wisdom. We'll, we'll, we'll appoint these seven to take care of the ministry needs that we don't have time to get to. And so seven men were recruited. Among those seven... We noted Stephen and Philip. Now, the rest of chapter 6 and Acts and all of 7 is about what happens to Stephen. Now, keep in mind, Stephen was recruited to wait tables. And in just a few verses, he's arrested, drug out in front of an angry mob, questioned and threatened that he might recant his faith in Jesus and walk away. That was their purpose. Well, instead of recanting, Stephen steps up, for all we know, this is his first sermon and just blows it up. 
Starts in Genesis, goes through Exodus, all the way to Joshua, showing what? That this temple you have here on earth, this is not the temple of God. You can't put God in a box. You can't corner him up in your temple. When Jesus said he's going to tear the temple down and rebuild it, that's actually happened already. You're now the temple. The Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. And he just blows it up, drops the mic, steps back. They get mad. The word says that they basically lunge out on him, this angry mob. And they seize him and they drag Stephen outside the city of Jerusalem, throw him down in a hole, take off their outer garments so they can stretch it out and begin picking up rocks and just pelting him until he dies. Recruited to wait tables in the church, just gets killed. Next scene. That's Stephen. And so today we're going to pick up what the very next verse, what happens after that, and we're going to look at Philip and how God advances the mission through Philip. Well, let's pick this up in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on Saul. He's coming up in a significant way, and we'll really spend some time on Saul, who later becomes Paul. At this point, we just need to understand Saul is about to step up and lead the charge of persecution against the church. He was the one who authorized Stephen's killing. When they grabbed him, they're dragging him out, and they're like, wait a second, this has got to be authorized. Saul says, I'll authorize this. You can do this right now. And he gave approval to his execution. And there rose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. So, so far, what we've been seeing behind the scenes is this growing sense of persecution, but it's primarily been subtle. It's been behind the scenes. It's been a whole lot of starting rumors, spinning lies and false accusations. The religious leaders trying to strategically stamp out this movement from behind the scenes in such a way where their their hands are clean, And the church dies. But now we've got a leader of the persecution. And Luke, who's writing this down, says, on that day that Stephen was killed, persecution, boom, exploded. It was no longer a subtle behind-the-scenes attempt to stamp out the church. The the, the Roman government, uh, the, the religious leaders of the Jewish nation were on the hunt, attempting to kill the church. So persecution rose that Day And when it did, all they all scattered throughout the regions of where? Judea and Samaria. Now, that's just not a coincidence there. As Luke is writing this down, he wants us to see that the mission of God is going forward just like he said it would. My Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses. Where? Starting in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria. On your way to the ends of the earth. And so here's what happens. The Christians begin to scatter, moving outside of Jerusalem to the villages and the towns and the cities, moving out from Jerusalem towards the ends of the earth. Now, there's one little phrase here that's so important, except the apostles. See, when we read the book of Acts, up until this point, what we would expect to happen is that by the time we get to Acts 6, the church has exploded, that the apostles would realize, you know what, it's time to move outside of Jerusalem. We need to have a huddle here. Maybe Peter would step up and say, guys, let's get together. 
Let's, let's talk about this. Somebody's going to have to take this outside of Jerusalem. I know what's happening here is exciting. It's big time. Love what's happening here. But guys, come on. We've got the resources now. We need to send somebody out. Who wants to go? Maybe they would cast lots. Maybe Peter would just appoint somebody, right? But that's not what happens. The scattering, right, is void of the apostles, the ones who were perceived to be the leaders of the church, the ones who God was moving through, they're holding tight. They're in Jerusalem. Those that are being scattered are the brand new Christians. Those who, I mean, brand new, less than a year, probably less than six months, many of them probably less than a month in the faith are now being scattered out into the villages and cities. Verse 2 tells us that they had a funeral for Stephen back in Jerusalem. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. Verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Again, no longer is it subtle anymore. Persecution is in your face. Saul has been authorized to go house to house, door to door, kicking in the doors, dragging men and women out of their homes for, for, for professing faith in Jesus. And immediately they're arrested. No trial. They go from, I believe in Jesus, to arrested. Boom. Which we know what? Leads, leads ultimately to execution. We just saw that with Stephen. So Saul has been authorized to unleash war on the church. Verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now that's not what we would envision would naturally happen here. We would expect them to scatter and run for cover. Let's lay low for a while. Let's let the big dogs handle it in Jerusalem. Let's just kind of keep our eye on the apostles. We'll watch them for our cues. We'll watch them to figure out what to do. That's not what happens. They scatter. They're not running and hiding. They're scattering, taking this good news of Christ to the world. Now, two significant things just happened. One, in the midst of persecution up to this point in church history, the most severe persecution the church has faced, it has also made its most significant advance in the mission. In the midst of persecution, the church has, in fact, advanced. What Jesus said in Matthew 16, upon this truth, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gives us this imagery from the beginning that the church would be an on the advance movement. And every time that the church encounters the gates of hell, the gates of hell will lose. And that's what's happening here. Amidst persecution, amidst this attempt by the government to stamp them out, the church is making its most significant advance. The second thing I want to note here is who God is working through. I mean, we're about to be talking about Philip. These guys just became believers and got recruited. God is not using this super high-profile religious leaders to move out his church. What is he doing? He's using Christians, those who simply believe and therefore have the Holy Spirit of God. Now, why is that so important? Well, let's think about our own lives, because I think that there is a common 
misconception in the church that as long as things are going well in my life, God wants to use me. However, if I encounter a season of struggle, suffering, or hardship, that's my excuse to tap out and go to the sidelines and lick my wounds and be healed and rest and just watch everybody else work for God. And what we're seeing in this narrative is that's not how God works. That in your seasons of greatest difficulty, suffering, and hardship might be the place, the very place that God wants to work most powerfully through you. It's what Paul says in his letter to the Corinthian church. It's actually in my weakness that that Christ is strong. I'm going to keep boasting in my weakness. Why? Because that's the place that I find the most powerful movement of God in my life. And God is showing here that in the midst of suffering, hardship, and darkness is the very place he often wants to work most powerfully in you. And the second thing I want to note, and this is prevalent in the American church, I don't know I don't know why we don't fight against this, but that somehow that the big ministry movements are reserved for the super spiritual. The pastors, the elders, the bishops, the priests. We've interpreted this word, the saints, to mean the super elite religious and don't realize that what Paul calls the saints are those who are sinners who have simply been saved by Jesus. Therefore, they're now saints. And we, we bind to this mentality that the big movement of God has to be done by this, those who have been to seminary, those who bear the title of pastor. I'll pitch in my little contribution. I'll serve here. I'll fill a gap here. I'll plug in here. But the real movement of God has to be done by those, right, who have the Gospel of John memorized. It's not true, is it? Right? The apostles are back in Jerusalem holding tight there. And God is moving through these believers to take the church to the ends of the earth. Now, listen, that's that's you. If you are in Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone, you have the same Holy Spirit that's driving the unstoppable church in the book of Acts. It's in you right now. He's just as powerful right now in you as he was here through the apostles and through these believers. The same Holy Spirit. Fire's not dying out. God's not becoming weaker over time. The same Holy Spirit is in you. Now, when we read through the, the book of, um, excuse me, the chapter 8 in the book of Acts, there are a couple reasons why it can be a little bit confusing. Let me give you those reasons and then we'll keep moving. One is that the first eight verses act as a summary, and then after that, Luke comes back and adds details to what he's already said. It's almost like Luke is writing what happened. He writes verse eight, and then he thinks, wait a second, this is exciting stuff. I'm going to write some more, and he backs up and writes some more. So it's a little bit out of order, okay? Just know that going in. The second reason we're going to encounter in just a moment is that there seems to be some disconnect between Trusting in Jesus as, as, as your Savior and it being filled with the Holy Spirit. These people that Philip is about to encounter are going to respond to the gospel message, uh, but for all that we understand, don't have the complete filling of the Holy Spirit. That's different from how God has been working up to this point, and it's different from how God will work past this point. Okay? So it can be a little bit confusing. We'll walk through it together. So, Starting in verse 5, we're going to be introduced, reintroduced to Philip, one of the seven men who was recruited to wait tables. Philip went down, this is verse 5, to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them 
the Christ. I love this. Recruited to wait tables. Persecution hits the church. Christians begin to scatter. Philip's headed out of town, right? No, no seminary. He's not an apostle. Didn't, no, wasn't an eye account witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Wasn't mentored by Jesus. But he's taking this message out. And he preaches to them the Christ. And crowds with one accord pay attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs, excuse me, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. What were the signs? Verse 7. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So the first thing I want you to realize is, we're going to get more details in just a minute. Like I said, Luke's going to back up and provide more information. But here's what happened is that, that Philip goes into a town or a city that is, um, that is very satanic and demonic. A city that had been engaged in following a teacher of magic. A city that had been shackled and in bondage to ultimately what Satan was doing there um, through this magician by the name of Simon. We're going to learn that, that initially these people are kind of fickle. They're easily attracted to the latest, greatest thing. And they've got this infatuation with the supernatural and what they perceive to be the divine. And so previous to Philip being in this city, there was a man by the name of Simon who was a magician who kind of who played with people's emotions and feelings. He was pretty good at magic and he convinced them that he was divine. And so we're going to read in just a minute that they paid a lot of attention to what Simon did and said. But what Luke wants us to see in contrast with that is that when Philip proclaimed that uh, Jesus is the Christ and then God began to work through him, right, releasing demonic spiritual forces by tearing down strongholds, by, by even healing those who are sick and paralyzed and lame, the people were now drawn to him. They liked the show. This is pretty cool. This is way better than what Simon did. I mean, he was making sparks and fire and uh, smoke, and he was kind of, but like this guy, I mean, he made a paralyzed guy walk. This guy, I mean, like we see like this person was possessed by demons is now healed, and we want to follow him. We want to pay attention to him. And so they paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Now, there's some important things I want to note here. Um, the author of the book of Acts is Luke, okay? Luke also writes a gospel account chronicling the life and ministry of Jesus. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 11, verse 20, he captures something that Jesus said that I think is important to understand about what's going on here. Here's what Luke records that Jesus says in Luke's 11:20. Jesus is in the midst of healing, and he says, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so what Jesus is saying is that where you encounter demonic forces being broken, pressed out, pushed out, run out of town, you can know the kingdom of God has advanced. That's what Jesus is saying. And so here, Luke is capturing that in this story, saying that through Philip, the kingdom of God has come to these people. How do we know that? Because demonic forces are being destroyed. Demons are coming out of people, right? Satan's plans are being thwarted. The kingdom of God is coming to these people. 
Let's pick it up in verse 9. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. So he was, he was capitalizing on their uh, enthrallment and infatuation with the supernatural. He, he had impressed them such, and then he promoted himself. And so he was engaged in promoting himself as being divine or from God. And verse 10 says this, they all paid attention to him. That's the same Greek word we read earlier. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest saying, this man, Simon, is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him, verse 11, they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. And so we're seeing a great contrast now between what Satan was doing through Simon the magician and now what God's doing through Philip. Now keep in mind, this is not an apostle. This is a church member. Fairly new Christian here. Was recruited to serve tables. And now God is working through him, bringing the kingdom of God to these people. Verse 12 says, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. And you see how fickle these people are? They're just sitting there wanting to be amazed, entertained, and their, their, their allegiances and their attention shift whatever the latest, greatest thing is. Now, what's going to take place from here, I believe, one of the reasons chapter 8 is so hard is that God wants to draw a significant distinction between what Simon is doing as a magician and what he is doing through Philip. And so it's going to, it's going to seem a little bit unorthodox as well. And, and, and here's the thing, too. It's not really clear in this narrative where, at which point, these people become Christians. We know they do in the end, but we're not really sure where it happens. And so, and it's not really ours to judge, right? We're just following the narrative along, and it's not really clear when these people shift from just coming to Philip because he's amazing them and then truly trusting in Jesus as their Savior. At this point, though, they're beginning to believe his message, and even Simon begins to say, yeah, I believe that too, and they are baptized, now, we know from the scriptures that baptism is a symbol. Baptism is not a supernatural activity. It is a beautiful outward proclamation of something inwardly that is, in fact, incredibly supernatural. This is a great example. I mean, it's, right, there's... We, and we know this, too, that salvation comes, that when salvation comes to a person, the Holy Spirit's involved in that. Otherwise, we don't have eyes to see, ears to hear, right? We don't embrace truth. We don't respond to the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit of God working in us, churning our hearts, stirring us, opening us up so we can grasp the love of God in such a way that we might respond. But in this particular situation, what we're going to read is that they had not yet experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit. So what's going on here? Are they saved? Are they not saved? They're being baptized. Simon even gets baptized, but we're going to see in just a minute, he's a prime example. 
that just walking the aisle, saying the prayer, getting baptized, just going through these outward motions don't change you. And so we'll pick this up now uh, in verse 14. This is so important. So up until this point, the apostles have been removed. But what's happening here is so significant that word reaches back to Jerusalem and Peter and John catch wind of what's happening down here in the city. And so they're a little bit late to the game, but they decide, you know, we need to go down there and check it out. We need to go see what Philip's preaching. He might need some help setting up the church. Let's go down there and be a part of what God is doing here through Philip. And so in verse 14, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. So we know some people have responded. They've received, they've believed the word of God. They sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. Now that wording is the same that we get in Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit falls on, sits on the apostles at Pentecost. Okay, So he had not yet fallen on them, but they had only been baptized in the name of of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So what's going on here? This seems a little bit out of order and jumbled up. Let's walk through that together. Now, we know that the mission of Jesus included baptism. He said, make disciples of the nations by right, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Right now, what Luke is noting is that they were being baptized into the name of Jesus. There's no mention of the Holy Spirit here. So let me offer up some options of what might be going on here. The first thing that could be going on here is Luke is trying to describe a situation where there were some false conversions on the front end. People who, again, were drawn to the supernatural work that God was doing through Philip, but not truly trusting in Jesus. And so there maybe have been some, some genuine believers there, but then some, some disingenuine believers. And so the genuine believers were going to follow that up with baptism. And so they all jumped in and said, oh, let's all get baptized, including Simon. So there might have been some, just some going through the motions. You know that happens in church, don't you? Going through the motions, right? Doing all the outward stuff without genuinely believing in your heart. And so that might be what's going on here is just some false conversions on the front end. And it's not until Peter and John get there and through more discipleship that they actually begin to grasp the gospel. Another option is that they are genuinely believing in, in Jesus and the Holy Spirit has actually started working in them, but because Philip has neglected to teach them or acknowledge the work of the Holy Spirit, there's a sense, there's an unawareness to what the Holy Spirit is doing in them. And it's not until Peter and John get there, lay hands on them, pray on them, that they have kind of a Pentecost experience where they experience the complete filling of the Holy Spirit. It's one option that might be explaining what's going on here. A third option uh, might be that God is just doing something different here. He's God, he gets to do that, right? I mean, he's, he can do it however he wants to do it. And, and so what I don't want to do is get so caught up in the details of what's happening in what order that we completely miss the point, though. So now what Luke is going to do is he's going to offer up Simon to us as an example of what it looks like to go through the motions of being a Christian without truly encountering heart change. And so in verse 18, remember, they were all baptized, even Simon. Now, verse 18, when Simon saw 
that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the hand of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, Simon, you completely missed it. See, I think Simon did what a lot of us do even today. We're drawn to the things of God while at the same time completely missing God. We're so caught up and wrapped up with what we want God to do for us that we miss him completely. He's not saying that God isn't real. And he's not saying that God isn't really working. Matter of fact, he believes that it's a real thing God's doing. But do you hear his heart here? I just want that power. I'll pay you for that power. How do I get some of that, guys? It's almost like Simon's having a behind-the-scenes conversation with Peter and John. Come here, guys. Come here. Come here. Come here. Can, can I buy that from you so that from here on out, I can lay my hands on people and give them that power? I think about, I think about my own prayer life sometimes and how often I am going to God for what I want him to do for me rather than just going to God because he's God. My prayer lists are often just one after another, things I want him to do and not a whole lot of, I just want you. I just want to know you more deeply. I just want to know you more confidently. I just want to spend time with you, right? I, I very seldom get to that part. Why? Because I got all this stuff I want God to do. And this is where Simon is. He's, in, he's amused, he's engaged in what God is doing, but he's missing God. And look at what Peter says. Peter said to him, verse 20, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. What is Peter saying? Simon, I can't give you what you're asking for. You can't buy it with money. It's not mine to give. God has to give that to you. There's a person behind this power. And the person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then Peter says this, you have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. See, Simon hadn't experienced a genuine conversion at this point. Peter says the very next word, what you need to do, Simon, is you need to repent. Repent. Therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. It's just the heartbeat of the gospel. Repent that your sins may be forgiven. What is repentance? Turning away from what I want, turning away from sin, and turning to Christ in faith. That's repentance. Not a one-time event, a lifestyle of faith. Walking in repentance. And that's where we find forgiveness. That's where we find this reconciled relationship with God. And it's only in a reconciled relationship with God that you're ever going to experience this power that you want. But you can't get the power without the person. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And then Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing what you have said may come upon me. Now, there was great debate among scholars of whether or not Simon became a Christian at this point. Uh, I, I leave that in God's hands. Clearly, before this point, he wasn't a Christian. Potentially, at this point, he became a Christian. 
but he's a perfect example of how someone can go through the motions of Christianity and completely miss God. You can walk the aisle of a church. You can come down to the front. You can repeat the words of a prayer. You can be baptized and completely miss God. I don't know what's going on with the Holy Spirit and how all that's working here. My assumption is that it's a lot of, it's, it's very similar to what we just sang a few minutes ago. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Do you know that the Holy Spirit had authority to be here before we welcomed him? Did you know that he was already here because two or more had gathered in his name? So what are we doing? Here's what we're doing. We're affirming what is true. And we're saying, not only are you here, but my heart is open. Not are you, you're not just welcome in this building, but you're welcome in my life. I want to hear from you. I want to submit to you. And so that's potentially what's going on is just there's this, now there's this acute awareness to the movement of the Holy Spirit, and it's happening in a very tangible and outward Pentecost-style kind of way. Yeah, but, but, you know, potentially some were already Christians before that happened. But the point is this. The main point of Acts chapter 8 is this, that God's church is unstoppable, and it will advance forward in the most unlikely of circumstances through the most unlikely of people. Guess what? That's you. That's your life. There's a secret here, let me tell you. God wants to work through you to advance his church. Have you, have you ever come to the place where you've embraced that truth? Well, wait a second, I'm not a pastor. I haven't been to the, I don't, it doesn't matter. Neither have Philip. God's not waiting for you to become this super powerful Christian leader and then work through you. He wants to work through you in your circumstances right now, wherever you are, for better, for worse, season of, 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 of victory and growth or a season of hardship and suffering. God wants to work through you to advance his unstoppable church. You're the church. You're the church. We're the church. And you're sitting here today because of that unstoppable mission. Because God, through his power and providence, moved the gospel beyond the walls of Jerusalem. Seems like up to this point, these guys would have been just perfectly content staying in Jerusalem. But God moved the gospel outside the boundaries of Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, headed where? The ends of the earth. And guess what? One of those stops along the way was the United States of America, Fort Worth, Texas. And you're sitting here today because of this unstoppable mission. There's another thing that we need to note too. The moment the gospel, the kingdom of God came to Samaria, Samaria became a new Jerusalem. For those believers now, they were on mission and their Jerusalem was Samaria. And they were called to take the gospel from their Jerusalem to the next Samaria, to the next Judea, to the next ends of the earth. And here's what we have to understand. Solid Rock Church, this is our Jerusalem right here. And we can be a church like Acts chapter 1 through chapter 7, holding up here in Jerusalem, just so focused on our community and what's going on here that we completely miss the mission. Or we can be a church that takes the mission seriously and realize this, that West Fort Worth, Northeastern Parker County, Saginaw, Lake Worth, Azle, Benbrook, wherever you want to come from, this is our Jerusalem right here. And we've been called to be a beacon of hope to this community. It's why we do Christmas store. It's why we do 
you know, these random acts of kindness and we do all these different things in our neighborhoods and block parties and subdivision parties because we want to get out and rub shoulders with the people around us to be a beacon of hope to the people that we, we encounter on a daily basis. The people you work with, that's your Jerusalem. Your family this week for Thanksgiving, that's your Jerusalem. Your family that you're going to encounter for Thanksgiving, that's your Jerusalem. Your neighbors, those are, that's your Jerusalem. But we've been called to take the gospel from this Jerusalem to where? Our Judea, our Samaria, ultimately to the ends of the earth. And now what I'm going to do is um, I've asked Brian Lamb to come up and share a little bit about our connections as a church to the ends of the earth, where we've got relationships and connections with those who've come from this Jerusalem or have connections here at this Jerusalem who are now serving as missionaries, bringing the gospel of good news, the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. So Brian Lamb, our pastor of community and mission, is going to come share a little bit about that. Thanks, Brian. Good afternoon. Hey, who's ready for Thanksgiving? This guy, turkey. All right, uh, so today for Mission Awareness, we wanted to bring awareness uh, about world missions and really piggyback off of what Jason has just taught us through with the scriptures. Uh, we want to just bring recognition of those around the world who have left their home, left their family, left their country uh, to go and live in a foreign land that they might advance the mission of God in unreached areas, in unengaged areas, um, in areas that have little to zero resources and, uh, and the church is maybe not prevalent there uh, as it is maybe here in Texas. And so, uh, you know, we, we want to, as we saw from the scriptures today, be a church that is about taking the gospel to the ends of the, of the earth, that is about uh, taking the gospel outside of these walls, this city, this state, this nation, to the ends of the earth. God is on a global mission for his glory throughout all nations, ethnicities. We've heard this. And so uh, one of the ways we do this in our church is just by simply bringing awareness to this and recognizing those um, who are out in the mission field right now, uh, serving internationally and remembering to, for us to pray for them as well. We want to pray for them and lift them up to the Father. And so I want to read just a list of names and, and, and prayer requests from some people that have connections here at Solid Rock. Um, some of them are members, uh, but just let, letting you guys know about these people that have connections here at Solid Rock. And some of these names, I, I can't use the last name because of where they're at, um, but these are the names that I got from a list that we compiled as a mission team. And so in Europe, we have have Sam and Katie R. in England. Um, in Rome is Lauren and Elena H. Uh, we have Corey and Jared in Macedonia. In Africa is Jay and Kathy. Uh, Courtney V. is from South Africa. In North America, we have Billy and Laura in Alaska. Alaska is kind of like into the earth, right? And so uh, Austin and Ashley Cooper are in Canada. In Asia, we have Daniel and Amanda Bray in China, who are members here. Uh, Alex and Melissa H., who are in China. The H. family, who is in Central Asia. Um, Brian A., who is in Laos. Uh, Chuck and Mary S., who are in India. And Daniel and Melissa, who are in the Middle East. There's also a lot of prayer requests as well from these missionaries that they sent in. They know that we are doing this today. Um, and so there's a list outside on that table out there that you saw when you came in. And it has a list of all of these names and all of these prayer requests a lot more detail than what I'm going to give you today. And so I just want to encourage everybody in the room to go and pick up one of those lists, take it home with you, and pray for these people by name. Pray for what they've asked for. It's the least that we could do 
um, for them. And it should be an honor of ours to be able to pray for these people that have given their lives and sacrificed everything to go uh, for Jesus. And so I do want to share a couple of these and mention a couple of prayer requests. Um, one was for health. Another one was for growth. Um, uh, one was for raising up leaders. One was for funds to continue the work that they're doing. Uh, prayers for the government of the country that they're in. They asked us to pray for that. Um, prayers for travel in a tension-filled city. Prayers for refugees. Prayers for the time with others that they have. Many of them are teaching English classes, and that's the way that they have connections with people. Um, prayer for uh, uh, two expecting moms. We've got two two moms over there. That, that there are moms, and they have, um, they're pregnant and have kiddos on the way. Uh, prayers for unreached areas. Uh, that was one from, from the lady in, in uh, India. And then I want to quote this one. Uh, Please pray for our safety as there is hardly a week that goes by without bombings. And pray for our group meetings to be able to start again because they had to be canceled due to safety. Um, many of us, I think we forget that all we had to do is wake up from our alarm clock this morning to be able to come and meet. And many people can't even drive to where they're going to meet or meet and so how thankful should we be and how much more should we pray for these people to be able to share the gospel and, and meet corporately to go worship uh, our Lord. And so um, I hope these people will be on your mind this, this holiday season. I think we do get very consumed with ourselves and everything that's going around us. And maybe this is just a good reminder for us to think um, outside of this. And so as a church, you know, we, we don't only want to recognize and bring awareness and pray for these people. We want to do those things, but we also want to be very active in sending people from our church to go, right? We want people from our church to go to the ends of the earth. And so as many of you know, over a year ago, we started a program called Family on a Mission. And this is a program where Solid Rock is fully funding uh, a family to go live on mission uh, internationally to where they would uh, be around people encouraging and growing uh, the church and planting churches in specific areas that have a need for churches. And so the Rathbun family, Jeff and Holly, and their three girls uh, are our first family that have been a part of this program, and they're going to be ending their training phase in December, this December, and we'll be planting them in 2017. And so not only are we going to have some names on the list, but we're going to have a, a family that we know that's going to be out there, that's going to need our support, that's going to need our prayers, that's going to need care packages, that's going to need a lot of stuff. And so we're going to get to see what it looks like really to, to be a sending church. We've gotten to see a little bit of that, though, with the Brays. Many of you guys know Amanda and Daniel Brayer have, have heard about them. They're in China. God uh, called them there a couple years ago, um, advancing the gospel in, in, a, in a really kind of, uh, maybe not hostile place, but a very apathetic place, a place that where um, like there's not church churches meeting and stuff like that. It can't be vocal. And so um, last year we entered into a partnership with them where we wanted to encourage them spiritually and support them spiritually. And so each month we have a community group. I don't know if you know this, but we have a community group uh, that reaches out to them and encourages them in one way or another, either by sending a care package or a phone, not a phone call, but FaceTime or emails or writing letters to them. We had one group who uh, got all of their kids to write letters and draw pictures for the Bray kids, and it was really cool. And so, you know, we, we want to come around them and support them and love on them, right? It, it is hard to do what they do, to, to leave home, to, to be missing your family, missing your friends, and, and leaving your way of life that you grew up in and being inserted into a brand new place, even if you have a support system there. And so we still want to be the church and come alongside them and pray for them, encourage them, love them, show them um, that we are behind them um, and that we are family. And so uh, today, with all of that in mind, there's so much, I know there's a lot of information, uh, but with all that in mind, I want to just uh, challenge everybody in this room 
to go out and check, check out the mission table. There's a, there's a map that has all the pictures, and you can see where all these missionaries that I listed here. There's a, a page with all their names and prayer requests. There's another page of, the, of a lot of sending agencies uh, that you can pray for and those things, but then there's also a card for the Rathbuns. And then finally, there's Christmas cards. We're going to be sending Christmas cards to the Braves. And so I want to encourage you to open up a card, write an encouraging note to the Bray family. Uh, Amanda loves Christmas cards. Uh, we asked her last year when we went into this, she was like, what, what's the one thing that we could do? She's like, can you guys send us Christmas cards? We love Christmas cards. And, and so we wanted to honor that. And, and hopefully, I think, at least from what I saw, we're going to be able to send hundreds of Christmas cards to them from the Solid Rock Church family. And so I'm going to invite Billy to come up and pray for us. Um, and, and just uh, just want to thank you guys for, for listening to me and, and uh, encouraged. Yeah.